Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. Where did I? Sorry, we'll cut that bit. We will cut that. <laughs> we won't cut that bit. <laughs> we will cut that bit. This is, is that an exclusive? This is. <laughs> this is. I think like when I told Charlie, oh, like Craig will often break. Sorry, it. he's retired from acting. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah, thinking of. <laughs> I thought something tragic had happened in the time that we'd logged on to this chat. <laughs> but it's like, oh God. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., Santa's coming to ah! Oh, my God. I know him. Oh, Christmas isn't just a day. It's a family of mine. I made my family disappear. Put that cookie down now. Well, good movies. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, the optimistic Bob Cratchit of this story, David Osger. And when a cold wind blows, it chills you. It chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. There goes Mr. Outrage. There goes Mr. Sneer. He has no time for friends or fun. His anger makes that clear. If being means a way of life, you practice and rehearse, then all that work is paying off because Scrooge is getting worse. Every day, in every way, Craig is getting worse. Humbug. <laughs> I would ask how you are, Craig, but not good, apparently. <laughs> well, no, it's, I mean, you're getting me to talk about Christmas again and it's not my designated time for it. <laughs> I've also found the funny thing of... In rehearsal, you had a hat on your head, but now you've got headphones on with a hat on top of the headphones. Yeah, so. we, we didn't plan for this. Um, <laughs> for context to everyone at home, uh, Craig is in a very uh, appropriate costume for today's film. Hopefully it's not uh, stirring up too many feelings amongst uh, everyone else in the call. But yeah, this is our... I mean, I, I don't look that much like Scrooge. I look more like Fagin, if I'm honest. Well, is it? Do you look much like Michael Caine, or do you look much? I definitely like don't look like Michael Caine. <laughs> Get dressing going. I'm sure, sure that would change. So yeah, this is our Christmas episode for the month, and we've got a very classic Christmas film to discuss. So we have put out the call to our Well Good Movies crew, and they have responded very strongly. And as we are talking about such a famous. Christmas tale, then it's only appropriate that I introduce them in the way that's appropriate to that original book. So over on VHS Corner is our Ghosts of Christmas Past. It is Mary Munoz and Laura Filmer. Hello, both. Hi. Hello. Hey. So uh, I'll go to Laura first. Uh, Laura, it's I think it was the Endgame special was the last time you joined us in which you were put through all the <laughs> stresses of quizzes and questions and animal sounds and, and all sorts of things. No, because I'm still having flashbacks to that shark round. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty much been everyone who's been on that and then mm-hmm. come back since has said the same thing. So yeah, don't worry, you're not alone there. But also 
you do have a link to Christmas episodes, and I'm not sure if Mary is going to appreciate this this little uh, bit of information, but you led us to the conversation that was all of the other reindeer. I did. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Um, I have never forgotten about that, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's a classic. Well, in, in my eyes, it's a classic underrated film that needed to be brought to the attention of the masses. I'm sorry. It's not a film. <laughs> it is too short to be a film. <laughs> Both of you are in VHS Corner. Has it been decorated for Christmas, Mary? Have you, have you sort of put up some tinsel since you were there last time? I guess Laura was there in spirit, which again is a very festive idea, which uh, thank you, Laura, for your facts last time as well. They were very fun. Uh, but yeah, Mary, have you got the Christmas tree? Have you got the tinsel out? I feel like you've just missed the opportunity because like my first name is very giving for Christmas puns, so I could literally just be Merry Christmas. So I don't even need to put tinsel up. I'm just Christmas personified. <laughs> Or even we could have said that like there's a like nativity scene and Mary is there like in front of like a little baby Jesus. Well, oh, which is like holding the wee hot sausage roll like when we were talking about Angela's Christmas. Exactly. Well. <laughs> yeah. well, no, Mary, I'd be expecting you to hold this guy. Obviously, he is the star in my life. Don't need a star in the tree when I get him. <laughs> For everyone at home, Grogu is being uh, held up at the moment. But uh, yes, anyway, so we'll now go to our Ghost of Christmas future as... Uh, she will be helping us over on the movie vault in choosing uh, this film's legacy within the movie vault. And uh, I guess sometimes has a bit of a, an eerie spirit in some of the, the films that uh, she enjoys. So hello, Sarah. Welcome back. I'm not quite sure about introduction, David. Um, I don't know what you're trying to say as I take a drink from my scream uh, cup Ex- here. Exactly. Um, Point proven. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling going towards today's film? Because spoiler I think you're the only person to you who hadn't seen it before. So again, Christmas future, you know, what, what is what is the prediction going to be there? Who knows? I mean, there, m- there might be some hot takes, oh. you know, watching it with without nostalgic eyes um, that may upset a few people. But, you know, I don't want to go into spoilers just yet. Can I just say, yeah. I love the fact that this is the first time I think ever for this show, uh, someone is... <laughs> So a fact has been revealed about like watching history and all other guests just disapprovingly <laughs> shook their heads. Almost as if in unison, they were just like, just a chorus of unacceptable. Yeah, there was some knives <laughs> being sharpened underneath the, the cameras. <laughs> anyway, that is the future. <laughs> but uh, we are here in the present, guys. So I thought it was only appropriate then that our special guest today represents the ghost of Christmas present as uh, they are here today uh, for the first time. So good language, David. <laughs> for the first time joining us on this podcast. Uh, Please welcome freelance film critic, Charlie Gardner. Hello, Charlie. Hi, thanks for having me on one of the best Christmas films ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're already going there. I'm I'm going straight in, absolutely. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say that uh, this did work out very well, Charlie, as um, you are a big fan of Jim Henson, of Disney, of The Muppets. So, yeah, you're very, very excited for today's episode, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, The Muppets just like, it's like my language. So um, yeah, one of my favourite films of all time is The Dark Crystal. So comes from the same studio and uh, has the same sort of creepy, eerie feel about it. So yeah, very excited. Very true. So um, obviously for everyone else joining us today, people might have heard their episodes before, um, but as you are new to the show, uh, can you just give us an introduction to your role within the world of film and uh, film reviews 
what is your sort of vibe in terms of some of the films you enjoy that you sort of often talk about and write about and uh, where can people see your work etc yeah so I've been doing the film and uh, film critic stuff for a while uh, probably like six seven years I've been dabbling in it um, it's not my full-time job by any stretch of the imagination but um, yeah I've, I'm kind of on a couple of YouTube channels uh, I've I've, I've written for film hounds I have my own blog as I think probably everyone does um so yeah I've been I've been around and then in my professional life I work in VFX so that's that's kind of like where I make my contribution to the industry I guess and uh what would you say sort of tells people your vibe of the usual type of movies that you enjoy what are some of your favorites are there any just genres that you don't particularly enjoy are there ones that you sort of stay away from is there ones you always go to yeah, I I consider myself very much a blockbuster girl. I um I I I kind of stand on the soapbox for blockbusters. I think they get a lot of bad press from film critics in general. Um, I studied film for six years, so I was surrounded by a lot of um, avant-garde cinema fans, which I'd never really felt like I fit in with. Uh, which is why working in VFX is great for me because I'm kind of surrounded by people that taught my language, which is nice. Um, but yeah, my my kind of my genre of choice I suppose you could say would be sort of like the sci-fi comic book kind of films and then I'm also absolutely obsessed with animation so anything from Disney to Studio Ghibli to Aardman you know I'm the animation girl so anything that's considered a blockbuster chances are I'm going to be first in line to see it. So in last episode we were discussing the Disney classic Sleeping Beauty and the end game for that episode involved the biggest debate about that film, which is pink or blue for the dress. And this inspired the end game of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Screen Coat, where people were trying to guess the dominant colors of certain films. Uh, controversially, uh, Mary was knocked out quite quickly by not knowing the color of the Matrix being green and not black. Um, that means it is black for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought the scars might still be there. Yeah. Um, so fresh. <laughs> but in the end, Liv was the one who was able to win that game, but chose Mary's film because, and I quote, you're missing out on the best Christmas film if you don't choose uh, because of mine. So we were very much forced into A Muppet's Christmas Carol. So obviously based on the famous novel by Charles Dickens, a series of ghosts visit a heartless billionaire trying to convince him to change his ways. Um, this is directed by Brian Henson. Written by Jerry Jewell, but the original uh, novel credit obviously goes to Charles Dickens, with music by Miles Goodman, cinematography by John Fenner, and edited by Michael Jablow. Okay, so we obviously have Dave Goals as the voices of The Great Gonzo, Robert Marley, Bunsen Honeydew, Bettina Cratchit, uh, Rat and Zoot, Steve Whitmere as Rizzo the Rat, Bean Bunny, Kermit the Frog, Beaker, Belinda Cratchit, Beetle, Lips, and the various pig gentlemen, Jerry Nelson as Tiny Tim Cratchit, Jacob Marley, Ghost of Christmas Present, Lou Zealand, my bear, my boy, my bear, uh, Mouse, uh, Mr. It's just cut off, <laughs> Frank Oz as Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, a Sam Eagle, Animal, George the Janitor, Horse and Carriage Driver, Vegetable, David Rudman as Rat, Peter Cratchit, Old Joe, Swish, uh, sorry, Swedish Seth, not Swish Seth. What's going on? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Don Austin as Ghost of Christmas Present performer, uh, Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come before, and of course, as Scrooge himself, the late Michael Caine. Is he dead? No. No, sorry. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 
<laughs> Where did I? Sorry, I we'll, cut that, that we we'll cut that bit. We'll cut that bit. We will cut that bit. This is, is that an exclusive? This is, this is, I think, like when I told Charlie, oh, like Craig will often break. Sorry, he's retired from acting. That's what I'm <laughs> yes, thinking of. I thought something tragic had happened in the time that we'd logged on to this chat. <laughs> but it was like, so often I Michael Caine, can you please not die before this episode comes out? Otherwise, <laughs> this is going to be horribly insensitive. So many times I get things wrong and I am the one that screws up. I think there's a ghost which is like, right, the end of the year now, Craig needs to suffer. Okay. Michael Caine, you are not dead. I'm sorry, sir. Too much ghost talk today. Right. <laughs> So let's deep dive then into The Muppets Christmas Carol from 1992 and look at why it may deserve its place in our movie vault. Our vault then encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So yes, this is a film that was already in the movie vault. Uh, it went in when we talked about Christmas films as a whole uh, way back when uh, Well Good Movies started. Uh, but again, we didn't consider this one that we had so fully reviewed, given a full episode to, uh, so that's why we allowed it to be chosen. And we've had many episodes before in which we've talked about films that are in the vault, but again, haven't had a dedicated discussion. So this is a great time uh, to do that. Let's start off then, I think, fittingly, we'll we'll have a bit of a different take in terms of how we talk about our films uh, today, because usually we kind of go in with some of the themes or like elements like music production this one i think because it is such a classic story and i think a lot of the great moments and songs will come up naturally in its narrative we will kind of go through the film so beginning to end not scene by scene but um i've sort of divided it up thanks uh, to mary's recommendation which was opening the past the present the future and the finale so uh gear yourselves for that one but before we get to that something that is right at the beginning of this movie and I think is worth mentioning, especially as we have Charlie here, is the fact that this film is dedicated to Jim Henson. Uh, so I just wanted to talk a bit about his legacy and uh, why he's so influential. We've talked before about why the Muppets are such a big deal uh, on other episodes, but we've not talked as much about the man who created them. So Charlie, what for you makes Jim Henson such a, a special person and and the work he does so influential. I think the thing that amazes me the most about him and, and the whole studio is is the the fact that it's still going as strong as it ever was. You know, the Muppets have become almost timeless. And particularly in sort of American households, they're kind of like part of the family. And Henson Studios also created Sesame Street, which also has a huge presence in the US. And I think it's just one of those things that because it's not, it doesn't rely on animation style or high definition or any of these things that we're also used to in cinema now, it kind of just carries on as it is. And, you know, it still it still holds the heart and the and the humor and, and the comfort that it always did. And I think the reason that this version of A Christmas Carol which let's face it has been done like a million times the reason it's still so popular is because it still holds on to everything that the Muppets hold on to and and because they're still making Muppets productions and they're still as popular as ever that just kind of shows it's like a testament to what he created way back when with a little green frog that sings about rainbows like <laughs> it's still going strong and I think um, and there's also not really that many studios that successfully do puppet animation as well as they do so it's kind of like they're top of the game and they're still top of the game all these years later yeah and i think um something that we brought up during our discussion of uh the muppets film uh by disney uh 
a few months ago was some of like his inspirational quotes. And I think that is a big element of him is just his kind of like ethos in life and like what he wanted to give to children and what he wanted his films and his shows and his characters to to represent. And I think that, as you said, Charlie, like The Dark Crystal being one of your favorite films is a good testament to that because a lot of the reason he wanted to do that film is because he wanted to like teach children different kind of lessons. And there was even an element, I think of it, where there wasn't even English in the film originally, was there? There was like kind of like a, a gobbledygook language and that kind of stuff. And there was just so much that he wanted to do in terms of like creating a world and teaching people about different things, different cultures, and obviously like light and darkness are big themes in that film. So obviously we're talking about, you know, Christmas Carol today, but but you mentioned there Sesame Street, Dark Crystal, et cetera. Why do you think that those also are indicative of of Henson? I think it's also his attempt to appeal to different audiences like Sesame Street's very much catered to a younger audience it's there to sort of educate and entertain at the same time whereas Dark Crystal like you say it's got such darker themes to the Muppets and Sesame Street same with Labyrinth you know that there's adults today who are still terrified of those films and rightly so because they're scary it's it's dark fantasy that was kind of the whole point um, and I think it was just kind of an attempt to sort of like appeal to everyone, but through the same medium. And that, I mean, it's so it's genius, right? There's not really any other studios that are able to do that. I mean, I suppose Tim Burton is probably the closest in terms of like what he created with stop motion. But it's it's kind of just they kind of just reached out to as many people as they could, but whilst keeping the themes and the stories appropriate for those audiences I mean we, we talked about this briefly yesterday but like it breaks my heart that the Dark Crystal series didn't get what it deserved with the second season because I think what that was finally doing was bringing new audiences to that world and Dark Crystal kind of gets overshadowed by some of the other productions and I think that was such a shame but anyway if it had been on another platform maybe it would have done better I don't know but the studio as a whole has always managed to reach out to such a vast audience. Whilst also whilst also helping out with other productions as well, I think Henson was somehow involved in the production of Willow with all their sort of physical effects and stuff. And it's, I just think it's, it's admirable, especially in the sort of like 80s when cinema really boomed. It still managed to kind of hold on to what made it great from the start. And we've also, you know, we've already mentioned, you know, Grogu in this episode, but again, you know, Frank Oz, would he have like become the performer he was if it wasn't for Henson and being able to develop those characters? And there is an element of like, there is a Muppet in Star Wars, you know, with Yoda and that kind of stuff. But it is about that magic and, you know, that puppetry being brought to life, which again, the Netflix series was able to kind of bring that back, show the power of puppetry, um, which I think that Grogu as a example is still fulfilling that and you know i think probably star wars is the main thing that's pushing that we did get a bit of it in dungeons and dragons this year which i was glad to see as well so you know it is still there it shows that people really do love uh, puppets and i think when you look again at henson's legacy you mentioned sesame street even i think there was like some tapes and you know there was sort of like reruns of sesame street when i was young and it always like stood out to me and i think it's because similar to the muppets and when you look specifically at this film as well is because so many of those characters represent emotions and feelings so you look at sesame street and it's kind of like oscar the grouch obviously you know he's green and you know green is of, often you know associated with kind of like envy and you know like a more sort of like grizzly color and the fact that he is grouchy and he's angry and he represents that and then you've got someone like uh grover is it oh no yeah, or, yeah so he's like blue and bubbly and fun and you know like really sort of like whimsical and then you know big bird who's like yellow and bright and sunny you know i think that that is you know 
fantastic for again so like teaching like young children but then influencing people into into later life but yeah it's crazy then to think going into this film christmas carol like said you know unfortunately a lot of that was lost you know by the passing of jim henson and i think it's testament as you said charlie that a lot of that spirit and what he wanted was able to carry on you know helped by the fact that obviously his his son was involved etc um and so took the helms of this film and i guess that this film as well captures that idea of the muppets as performers and you know put it on a show like they do in the muppet show like it's almost as if like it's another skit but rather than it just being a short little fun jokey christmas carol they also take it very seriously mary what what do you think of like going into this film that that idea of like no henson having to create this kind of like traditional christmas carol story which had been done as charlie had said um many times before but even if you look at like children's adaptations you've had like disney of of had a stab at it but you know this was quite a big task i guess in a way i think so i think the pressure must have been absolutely enormous because by this point obviously this the muppets are sort of household names everyone has their favorite there's a pressure to deliver on a story that's so well known as well and often a story that's told in a really a really dark way yes there is the whole like scrooge's redemption arc sort of thing but it's often a a story that is is quite miserable and quite hard going and actually to take that and infuse some joy into it and and create something that's quite wholesome and is quite family friendly whilst still getting all those messages and themes across i think i can only imagine that the pressure was absolutely enormous from the minute the decision was made to to carry on yeah definitely and i think it's also worth mentioning that as well as henson this film is dedicated to henson's longtime collaborator richard hunt um he performed scooter beaker janice statler and sweetums and sadly he passed away on january 7th 1992 so before this film came out so yeah they really do start the film by sort of honoring their creators and their performers and i think the opening to this film and what we see from the rest of the story really does pay tribute to the spirit of what they brought in terms of performances and comedy and what they wanted the Muppets to represent. Sarah, as we've discussed, uh, you are new to this film, but in conversations I've had with you previously, you're not new to the Muppets. Uh, so that this has played a part in, in your childhood. So what, what's your memories of, of the characters and the films or shows that you have seen? Yeah, I mean, I have seen the Muppets in, I think it's when they go to Hollywood or LA and stuff. I think I've seen that. I've seen some newer versions and stuff and Sesame Street. I've seen these elements of um, sort of Jim Henson and co throughout my life, really. Um, But yeah, this is one that just kind of bypassed me. I don't know why, because I love puppetry. Like I love the Muppets and the kind of silliness and adult humour that they have, you know, in their characters. But yeah, I somehow opted out of seeing this one as a Christmas film. Um, and I wish I did see it as a kid because I feel like it sometimes has tainted my view on not just like this film, but other films I missed out on as a kid. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do love I do love me a good felty frog. And uh, you speculated, wasn't it possibly because of your mum's disdain for Michael Caine that you might not have seen this? <laughs> yeah i think she's got a thing against michael kane i was talking about michael kane with her at the weekend and yeah i think there's something about his is sort of he has this almost sort of stereotype of his own acting i think that's what i thought anyway you know you think of alfie and other things that he's done italian job and this was something different so i think my perception from my mum's point of view 
you know, I don't think it was ever on in the house because she probably couldn't stand Michael Caine, which I understand, you know, in other roles. I get that. Mary there was just like, what? (laughs) I wish people could see just Mary's world crumbling down on this episode. I'm sorry, Mary. <laughs> She's just looking around the rooms like this. This can't be true. <laughs> yeah, I thought I took the weird trip last year. It's worse than all of the other rooms here. <laughs> I didn't realize the Christmas episode was going to cause this much like division between our guests. It's another year of therapy, thanks to Will Goodies. <laughs> Laura, uh, what what is your mem? This one is uh, one that you have memories of, and so what? What's your general? memories and uh thoughts about the muppets as a whole i I guess we've never really discussed the muppets uh with you on this podcast i can't the only memory i've got of the muppets as a child and this is like i don't know why i had a thing against this this film muppets christmas carol but as a child we had it on vhs and i went through a phase where every time someone came around our house i would try and give it to them and like so they would like take it away and like I don't know why I was wanting to give away this film I mean like I remember like the first time my mom and dad told me about it as I got older and I'm like why and they're like you just did not like that film for some reason you were always trying to give it away to somebody no matter who it was and I was just like oh and then my first probably my biggest introduction to the Muppets was when we went to Disney World when I was 15 and there's a Muppets 3D ride out there went on that and I just, like, I fell in love with them and it changed my whole perception on the Muppets. And I did eventually watch a Muppets Christmas Carol and I fell in love with it. And then I remember after watching it, sat there thinking, why did little old me, you know, want to, like, get rid of this film? Like, it, it still baffles me now. So child me had very bad taste, I suppose. It makes me laugh as well that uh, somebody who's in VHS Corner this week was trying to give a v- vhs away <laughs> <laughs> yeah and charlie what what's your your memories of uh, muppet's christmas carol i mean I, I can't even remember the first time i saw it. it it wasn't the first muppets film i watched that would have been muppets treasure island i think was probably where my muppets obsession began i don't know um but yeah i definitely used to watch it a lot with my best friend when i was growing up she had it on video and i remember we we got to a point where the audio just cut out like halfway you remember on vhs if you watched it too much it like the the audio was distorted or it would go like black and white or something really random and so we used to just kind of like make up what they were saying when it was like silent so that's always fun when i rewatch it now because i'm like can kind of remember what stupid stuff we used to make the characters say um yeah there definitely were moments of it where I would have been a bit freaked out because I was quite young probably when I first saw it but um yeah I just the Muppets have just kind of always been as as much a part of my life as Disney has you know because Disney bought the Henson Studios quite early on so and and the same for me actually when I went to Walt Disney World as a a child I remember going to Muppet Vision and they have kind of like a whole part of the park is like all Muppets themed and I just remember thinking it was like the coolest thing ever um so yeah, it's kind of just always been there. But Christmas, uh, oh, yeah. Christmas Carol is our, it's our family's Christmas Eve film, so it doesn't get missed. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, Charlie, but they've took most of that Muppet stuff away. I know. Literally the ride and the Miss Piggy fountain, and the rest is pretty much gone. Heartbreaking. How could yeah. they do that? Like, there's plenty of space. They could have just added to the park. They didn't have to knock bits down. Mary's exactly. therapist just adding some more notes to this world of movies <laughs> trauma. <laughs> and how did it make you feel when Muppet Vision was taken away? What colour were you feeling at that moment yes. when they started talking? 
Was it green? <laughs> was it pink? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the emotion sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, same as you, Charlie, it's very much a Christmas Eve film. So I'm sure as you know, we'll discuss during this episode, a lot of my thoughts and memories are affiliated with watching it before going to sleep, especially when I believed in Santa. And like, I look back on it now and I was like, what a terrifying film to watch before you go into bed, you know, as a child, you know, like I really could have had nightmares if I was, you know, watching parts of this film and about to go to sleep. And it's funny that you're like thinking like, I mean, yeah, Christmas uh, tomorrow. Only if you are a heartless billionaire, right? (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's funny in the sense of like excitement at Christmas, but then this very dark story. But as as Mary said, it's uh, turned into something then also very, very wholesome and very warm. So I guess that brings us to our sort of initial thoughts I don't know whether to leave Sarah till the end, but uh, we'll go to Mary as you brought us this film. So Mary, you're a fan, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's one of the most, as I say, wholesome, joyful experiences you can possibly have. All the songs absolutely slap. It's really tight in terms of it doesn't oversee its welcome. It's like an hour and 28 minutes. And I think every single second is perfect. I don't think there's a wasted line of dialogue or unnecessary songs. And yeah, it's just joy. You can't you can't help but watch it and just feel really, really warmed by it. I mean, there are two elements of it that to this day absolutely terrify me, and I'm sure we'll go on to that. But terror aside, I just I love it. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. I love that phrase, terror aside. <laughs> <laughs> mm, let's go to Sarah. Let's let's like let's uh, balance it out here. <laughs> two I feel like scales. Hyping this up, like, <laughs> well, know. I don't want you to have like everyone positive, and then you come in like, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not going to come in and say it's it, it. It was it. It was good. Did I love it? No, I didn't love it, but it was good. Um, obviously, it's like I said before, I didn't have the nostalgia. I've seen Christmas Carol told a million times in different ways. Um, but it's fun because the, it's the Muppets. So I did enjoy those Muppet moments that weren't in traditional Christmas Carol moments. So having, you know, the narrator being Gonzo and Rizzo, that was fun. So I liked that. So things that were different to it. Um, but generally, I did like it. I'm more on the positive side, guys. So don't worry. I was like, something awful would have to happen for you to not like it. But yeah, yeah I, I guess yeah, the yeah. main thing is you haven't got that nostalgia. And hopefully maybe we'll all convince you by the end that this will become a Christmas watch. And after multiple maybe. watches, maybe. Or you're free to have your own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I just go by the vibes. As, da- of- as David sometimes realises is okay on this show. <laughs> well, I just go by the intense stares of other guests in which I'm like, uh, you know, maybe this will please them. But... I think we'll get onto free will and choices later on, Craig, as well, in terms of, you know, influence in that. But uh... spoilers much. <laughs> Charlie, what's uh, your general thoughts as to this? I guess you kind of already covered it in your memories. But, you know, looking at it now, even with the 2023 lens, with your film critic hat on, you know, what do you think? Oh, I find it really hard to be a film critic about films I grew up watching because I feel like, like Sarah said, you kind of watch it through nostalgia, right? It's like a completely different viewing experience. Um, One of my favourite things to do actually with old, particularly old Christmas films is go and see them when they're showing them at the cinema. Because I feel like you watch them so differently when you're watching them in the cinema. Last, Last Christmas, I went to watch Home Alone and I've seen that film hundreds of times. I can quote it start to finish and I was just like crying with laughter like I knew exactly what was coming but it's so much you get such a different experience when you watch it in the cinema where you've not got your phone or whatever going on around you uh, anyway so I rewatched um 
Muppets Christmas Carol this afternoon and I put my phone away and I put my laptop away and I, you know like tried to really like zone in on it and I was just like this film is just like it's just so good like it's so funny it's so charming and like Mary says there isn't a second wasted it's like they use and they use every corner of the screen and all the colors that are in there for a Dickens story which let's face it they're all pretty miserable stories like it's it's just so heartwarming to see them using it at this like beautiful sort of like level and yeah I just think I just I just love it so much I don't know if you can tell um but I really love the film I think the music is amazing I think all the performances are amazing and another thing that is nice about it versus a lot of other Muppets films is that it's not crammed with cameos like there's a couple of human characters obviously and Michael Caine is like front and center but if you watch like the Muppets Haunted Mansion or even the Muppets film from I can never remember what year it came out was it like 2012 2013 something like that 2011 there you go they're just there's just cameos every second but Christmas Carol just knew that they didn't need to waste time doing that and it just I don't know I just think it's five stars no notes it's just perfect (laughs) I love it so much (laughs) even the Muppet movie like you know was it like the 70s in 1979 I think that you know even that has you know like a lot of you know uh, celebrities for that time coming in etc whereas again I think with this and I feel bad that the you know in my sort of perfectionist brain and there would be probably one that people would say oh well there was that but I'm not counting it but I almost feel that they needed to have their trilogy of these like classic tales yeah. told with, you know, central character, which is where this whole thing comes from of people being like, you know, replace the cast of Muppets and one person, one character mm-hmm. still exists. So the fact that, you know, then Muppets Treasure Island, you've got the fact that it's like all of them are the pirates. And then you've got Long John Silver there uh played by tim curry tim curry. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't feel yeah. so bad for no, screwing yeah. things up now. If you can't remember <laughs> Tim Curry. um and then yeah with this one you've got michael kane with the rest you know as muppet so i feel i was like oh you know if only in this time era you know in that 90s time they could have done like another classic book adaptation with that format because it it, it goes to show that everyone's like oh yeah they should do that what what film would you do that to and the fact that really it's only been done to two really so i think that's testament But, but yeah similar to you charlie i think that i always kind of when i watch it at christmas it's like right time to watch muppets christmas cow it's the traditional kid watching christmas carol hat on but my watching this time was i think i was able to put myself into that cinema mode and kind of be like right and you know i did find myself cracking up a lot of times and really appreciating it a lot more rather than just kind of like passively watching it and just enjoying it for what it is as a piece of nostalgia i sort of experienced it in a different way because i had that sort of more critical hat on uh laura lastly what what's your sort of general thoughts i feel like everything i would have said has been covered by both well by charlie and like mary because i do absolutely adore this film like it is amazing and i suppose like the only thing i can really say is what charlie said five stars no notes like that is it well i think it it goes on well to where we said about breaking down the you know the plot and a lot of the elements of this story so is there anything that stands out to you laura in terms of the opening of this film so i guess this would cover the kind of time period between the logos and you know just before we go into the past you know so that introduction of scrooge the introduction of gonzo and rizzo the characters you know cratchit and what do you think of uh what are some of the sort of standouts of uh of the film's opening for you i think the biggest standout for me and only because i get the song stuck in my head every year is the opening song like I would say it's like it's iconic in my eyes and i go around singing it every christmas or 
as last Christmas, the only line I've had in my head for days on end was no cheeses for us mises. I had that in my head for days on end. And even leading up to this, I've been singing it in my head constantly. But I think that's that. And the fact that they chose Gonzo and Rizzo to be the narrators of the story, I feel like that was... I feel like that's probably the best choice because... Like, I don't know who else could have, like, done it as well as them. Like, I'm talking about them as if they're, like, you know, human beings. But, like, to me, you know, I see them as, like, real people. But I don't think anyone else would have done it better because they have the best, like, humour, but they had it, like, well-balanced and could be serious at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you with the song. I always tell people that as soon as, like, that bitterness of, like, winter, the cold comes in, this song pops into my head, the Scrooge song, because it's, you know, the the lyrics, you know, with, the, like, when a cold wind blows, it chills you, that pops into my head as soon as I feel that cold, and then I'm just singing it along uh, all the time. And it's just such a fantastic introduction to a character. It's just the, like, do-do-do-do, you know, and you really get this, you know, sense of, like, he's hated and you know he's a stern character and i think there has even been versions you know like a musical version of christmas carol but it's just something about it that doesn't quite work when you're going with the big theatrical like broadway kind of style i think that this is a lot you know it's hard to say that a muppets production is kind of like underplayed but i think that you know they kind of go for a more time sensitive kind of style um and again they're not doing anything like poppy or anything like that there's no like big operatic singing etc um so i think that that that's why it really stands out for me in terms of that song what you said with with gonzo as well what i really love is the fact that throughout this film and you know it was really again on this rewatch that i you know properly realized it and i think i said to you sarah before you saw this film that some people consider this one of the most faithful adaptations because it's actually got lines of dialogue from the book because Gonzo allows you to be that kind of, you know, he is, I'm Charles Dickens, you know, he is saying that he is Dickens. So he is actually saying these lines and saying something like the Marleys were dead to begin with, you know. And so that is like said in this film and the fact that that, you know, is such a dark concept. But as a kid, I think you're also like, ooh, you know, like, you know, it's creepy and exciting. But what I love about Gonzo in this film as well is that you expect him to always be the clown. And I think that Rizzo almost almost takes on that role. I think it's the fact that like Gonzo, like the characters in this film, there's always the, the element of the Muppets are playing these characters. They are in a production. And I think that Gonzo flipping between himself and Dickens is really effective. Like when Rizzo later in the film, like falls onto the goose and he's like you get all the fun and it's like that's gonzo in that moment but then there's other moments in which he turns back to the narrator and i just love that i just think that's so fantastic because gonzo is the most like outlandish and crazy character so he's the one that has to be most reserved and it goes back i guess to to what you were saying charlie in terms of like celebrity cameos and stuff this is again i think a restraint on the henson's production part is that they're not going with disney's christmas carol with mickey you know mickey's christmas carol is it like in which you're like oh goofy is one of these characters and you know they're going for like you know the big characters you know none of the ghosts are the big muppets i think it'd be very easy and i think you know to have like fozzy or someone and all these big characters but the fact that it's like a lot of them are just small parts i think that that that's really telling how seriously they took this story and, and like Animal, who is considered probably the most popular, if not one of the most popular uh, Muppets, he has one line in the whole film. Like, I guess it's also kind of like, cause they were probably like, where can we even fit Animal in A Christmas Carol? Like, I'd quite like to have seen him as the narrator. That could have been fun. But like, he, he just gets one line and that's it. And it, But they made sure they got him in. But, you know, they don't overdo it. It's just like, get Animal in there for the fans. But 
that's all we can use him for, you know, and that just works really well. Same as Swedish Chef, he literally gets one little shot. Yeah. That's why the joke works well in Treasure Island where they're like, how else were we going to get him in this movie? But uh, <laughs> I think this was the, when I watched this for the first, uh, when, I, when I rewatched this, this was the first time I realized that obviously like Rolf, for example, he's got a very, very small part in this, but in other Muppet productions, he's quite a big character, especially in like the original show and stuff. But um, usually I think this other character especially in modern Muppets, usually is always there. But it wasn't until this watch I realized, oh, there's not Sweetums, is it? Like the big, massive monster guy? Yeah. But I yeah. think, like yeah. you said, Charlie, how on earth do you put him into something like I this? mean, he could have been one of the ghosts, I suppose. He would have been but yeah, present. He's, he's such an idiot. Like, yeah. it, I'm not sure if it would have worked. <laughs> no. Uh, Sarah, you were mentioning about, um, you know, Gonzo and Rizzo being one of the strongest elements for you. So is that your biggest takeaway, I guess, for the opening of this film before we get into the kind of past stuff and everything yeah i think the setup of having this sort of narrator was really interesting to me um in that first sort of part of the film um and like you've already said david you know um rizzo sort of taking on that sort of more like clown role um and not being this character as such i think he's the assistant isn't he of some sort but i think he really adds to it and that plays out later in the film with a lot of sort of slapstick kind of humor which is the kind of humour that does make me laugh, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was interesting what you said about the songs because one of my hot takes oh. is that I don't think the songs are that good. Oh, God. Ooh, <laughs> I know everyone's reactions, but... Um, there will yeah, be times in this I'm, podcast that definitely yours be there, like Homer in the bushes, so I think. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's these odd lines, um, you know, you said about the cheeses for the Mises. That's funny. It's funny, but you know, I'm not. I've not gone away. I've listened to the soundtrack once. I'm not singing the tunes. I'm not humming. So, I'm so sorry, guys. That's where I think the nostalgia of watching this uh, in sort of recent years doesn't really work for me. Um, but yeah, I knew from that first song, I was like, I'm not sure it's going to be the right sort of musical that I'm into. I'm afraid. To be fair, I get, and this has happened, I guess, before with us as well. Is like when we talk about Nightmare Before Christmas, Craig. Like you, you d- weren't on board with the song. I, from yeah, that I much. thought no, it's not that I wasn't on board with it. I thought the, I thought the music was fine. I just thought it was a bit too sort of basic. Like the way it was sort of com- the way it was sort of like put together. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a style that I just instantly found fantastic. Um, I can see to an extent this music is probably broadly in that similar vein i think that i think that's because of the fact that it tries to make itself a little bit more low-key i think the fact it's got like the sort of synth inf- instruments with the trumpets mm. um does have an element which could be read into as cheaper mm. um which can be off-putting um i i think it's one of those i think it's like that sort of fine line of charming versus cheap mm. um for some people it works for some people it blatantly doesn't so yeah and i think that you know, for me, I think that probably the strongest songs are at the beginning. And I think that when I do rewatch it, I think it feels like Christmas, for example, there is an element in me which watches that every year. And you kind of get into it because of the wholesomeness of Christmas and being on board with this kind of like, yeah, it's cheery. But there is an element of like, this is so cheesy and this is so happy and, you know, everyone dancing around and everything like that. Um, so I think that there is, you know, a generalness to a lot of the music. I think, you know, nostalgia plays a big part in, in some of them as well. And there's like another song, which I'd, I'd say later on, you know, there's two definitely, which are, you know, big sort of talking points um, for reference to people at home. 
we're mainly talking about the full version as Disney Plus uh, puts it, um, which is by their own admittance, I guess, then the theatrical version is like the incorrect one. Uh, but that includes uh, the sort of song, which was like omitted from the theatrical version. But the VHS, as we've talked about a lot, had this song in. So a lot of people wanted it to return. Um, but yeah, back to the opening anyway. Mary, anything largely stand out for yourself from this kind of like opening uh, before we go into the ghost stuff? So I think this time around, I actually, because I was paying attention because I wanted to appear knowledgeable on this podcast because that never happens. Um, I think I really paid attention to the the dialogue a lot more and the delivery. And actually, I really had a sort of newfound appreciation for that because there's, you know, all these little rats in the accountant office and they're doing their like hula dances and stuff like that. But then to contrast that, you've got, you know, Michael Caine threatening Christmas Day evictions and he goes, OK, well, you can gift wrap them. And it's really like flippant like that. And it, it really, for me, sort of brought the character to life even a little bit more. And I know that obviously we all know the whole thing about, you know, him playing it like at Shakespeare or whatever. But it really did sort of solidify how good the the dialogue was and also the delivery of it. Because it, it is, it's very harsh. But at the same time, really from the start, you actually see how alone and afraid and frugal he is. And I feel that's established really quickly. And in amongst literally dancing rats and hula skirts I think that's quite an achievement to to get that character development really really quickly and I think that sort of struck out at me this time as much as I I love the overture and I love all the songs and I love like I love how when Scrooge comes in it's like the opposite of Beauty and the Beast where she's singing about how shit everyone else in the village is they're singing about how shit this one person is but I, I just I love all it it's, it's, it's so easy to get swept up in it but I sort of had an a, appreciation for the sort of the, the dialogue and the depth of character this time around I think I, I had the same thing, actually. I was thinking about what I've always loved about Michael Caine's portrayal of this version of Scrooge is that you look at other S- Scrooge performances, and there's a lot, <laughs> but I think they always go too theatrical and too much for me. And I think that, you know, like one, sta- I don't think I've seen the full thing. I just saw bits of it on TV, but I mentioned earlier, there's like, there's a musical version of it, um, which maybe it was like a TV film, something like that. But Kelsey Grammer's played Scrooge. And it's just so, it's just too much. It's just this whole, like, almost like the Jim Carrey thing of, like, scrunched up face, like, I am angry and I'm really bitter all the time. And I'm like, to me, that's too much. I think it's like you said, I like that kind of more realistic portrayal of him just being cold and just being like, yes, gift wrap them. And, like, you know, when people come in and he's just simply just like, who are you? What do you want? You know, and just like, there's no, you know, there's not this kind of, like, pantomime villain, which I really like. And I think that's where, again, there's the whole, you know, he played it like Shakespeare thing. But I think that what comes through is even though there's that whole like relationship with the Muppets, but there's also the fact that, yeah, he's treating the character of Scrooge himself very seriously, as well as the way as he interacts with the world. Um, so I really do appreciate the way that, yeah, he, he, he performs that, especially at the beginning. And I'm sure again, that that will come up as, as we go along as, you know, we get the more emotional moments and that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's uh, worth noting as well, Marley and Marley is the other song uh, in this sort of like segment um, and just generally, I guess this is kind of the beginning of the scary vibes, something that stood out to me when I was a child and I was petrified whenever this bit was coming up. I was literally like, it's coming is when, uh, Marley turned the door knocker turns to Marley. I was like, that was like, oh my God, so scary as a child. And I was like, it's the way it forms the sound that like, Rrr. and like his, it's because it's like Statler's faces it of all people. Um, which is like, you know, very chin heavy. 
and then the the horse and you know like spooking him yeah i just found it terrifying and that entire sequence again i i was watching it this time thinking i remember being terrified by this as a kid him going through the house and i think because vhs and tvs back then was so dark mm. you couldn't see anything so i was like what is in there and you know i was even like you know when he's beating his dressing gown i was just like with him like yeah that what is that oh my god you know? so i uh, you know it is really scary when he goes into his house first and you get that music like ding 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 and then for Marley and Marley to come in with this like fog and the chains, you know, it's fantastic. For, yeah, for me, it is just the chains. I think when you just see them actually yeah. wrap around him, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is a realm I was not expecting for this. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I know. That's that. when you get the iconic, you're more, what is it? You're more gravy than grave. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole film. I yeah. Leave, leave the jokes to the bears, <laughs> which is a great, <laughs> great little Easter egg there. But um, yeah, it's just... It, it, it tells you a lot about their relationship as well, which I love. And that's why it works so well that Tatlin and Waldorf are the Marlies, because, you know, the idea of like, you know, uh, we've missed heckling you. Like, and he's like, you were always heckling me. Like, I'm like, that is brilliant. You know, like you could have chosen another character. You could have just made it one of them, whatever. But that relationship, I think, you know, I'm not saying the Dickens, like Mr. Trick by not having two of them or something, but it is fascinating that when you watch other adaptations that it is more of the like, you know, we were partners, I've done this thing wrong and, um, you know, learn from my mistakes. But there's an other, another layer here, which is brought in with this idea of like the two of them. It, it's, it's just so, so fun. I feel like I'm surprised we've glanced over what you believe to be probably one of the funniest scenes in the film. Oh, which yes, is... I was going to bring this up because I was interested in what, again, Sarah thought of this as a first time watch. <laughs> yeah, because obviously like, like Mary mentions it, but we don't actually just talk about the stark contrast of heat wave. So as, as you mentioned this moment earlier, Mary, I don't know if you agree, but to me, I think that this is the best gag in the film. I've always absolutely loved it because one, it shows the dynamic with Scrooge and his like, you know, how quick he can get to anger, but it's so indicative of the Muppets humor as well. It's just, it's just such a great cut. And I was like watching it like, is this one of the greatest cuts in like film history? You know, just that like, you know, uh, saying about like you know if our assets are frozen and they're like and they're just the so quick you know heat wave and i i always love the one rat who's going hoi hoi <laughs> just like the fact they <laughs> I just love the one that goes into the um into the like coal thing as if it's like a sauna like lies yeah. down and just like slides <laughs> yeah. in they all crack me up i think later on we i guess the song we haven't mentioned is um one more sleep little christmas which fe felt very apt again i think watching it on christmas eve but what makes me f laugh in that is and I was thinking of you in this moment, Mary, is the idea of like these little felt characters, but it's the way that the bat rats like bob up and down as they're like leaving. And like some of them have got like, you know, very like relaxed eye eyelids and stuff. I just love the fact that they're like, yes, these dignified clerk, you know, bookkeeping rats. You know? And I just love the way they bob around. They're so funny. So it's the type of thing you think, oh, will that get less funny as I get older? But I'm like, no, this like holds The answer up. is no, it's always hilarious. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> love it. And I think it just shows you know yeah it's why we had to use it in one of our end game specials yes yeah yeah going now into the past <laughs> so um we'll talk obviously about the arrival of the ghost of christmas past and um yeah very interesting one for this because i think again before we saw this uh, you saw this film sarah you were saying about like oh i'm intrigued as to who the ghosts will be like what characters will be the ghosts you know is this what you expected what is your thoughts on the ghost of christmas past in this 
I mean, I wasn't expecting this weird <laughs> child. <laughs> I was oh. expecting it to be some kind of character that was familiar. Oh, it's um, disturbing as hell. I can... <laughs> that that would have scared me as a child, definitely, if I saw that, I think. Uh, which I'm sure everyone else here has probably got some traumatising experiences seeing this film. Um, yeah, not what I was expecting, you know, going forward with the ghosts, you know. Yeah, like we've said before, you know, not using those typically think, oh, it might be, you know, um, animal or Kermit or whatever. But no, they've gone with something a bit more obscure. Uh, and I'm not sure why they've gone with this character. I'm not sure if anyone can enlighten me. But um, yeah. yeah, I think it was an ele- I think there was an element of there was going to, you know, the characters would be playing these ghosts and stuff like that. But I think they just said that it was so difficult to make them then serious. You know, like how yeah, can you have yeah. Fozzie or someone not making gags and that kind of thing? But it's then impressive that they didn't just kind of go like very generic with it. They went like, oh, let's go there kind of thing. Uh, Mary, I think this is one that you said is kind of haunted you. (laughs) Yep, it's my sleep paralysis demon, my festive one. Um, (laughs) The ghosts are very faithful to the novel, which is fine. But honestly, to this day where she holds out her little tiny glowing hand and says like, take my hand. (laughs) No, I can't. It's awful. It's so bad. It's so bad. She's so scary. Why is she so scary? It's also then just such an awkward flying scene that she has with Scrooge, especially considering... that's really clunky. Yeah, especially considering that, bear in mind, obviously everything that's been said about Michael Caine, that he's treating this as Shakespeare, as Mm. just professional theatre. The fact that that's the one scene in the film he has to do something a bit sort of stupid. Just the flying of... Just... Yeah, this yeah, this isn't the crown and glory for you for this film. Apparently, because they wanted this floaty, ethereal look to her, which they pull off. I think they put the puppet into water and filmed her in there. But originally, it was like oil, and like it destroyed the puppet. It like oh, like eroded. Can you imagine what that would look exactly like? like? Imagine that face, like you know, like oil, like just. I yeah. do imagine that face, Dave. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put that image into your mind. But yeah, it's just, and I think it's just the greatest entrance of any of the ghosts. You know, possibly the, you know, future ghost has a great entrance as well. But just the fact they go all out on like lights, you know, just boom, and this white light appears like in his bedroom and like him bolting up is so effective, especially the fact that Gonzo is, you know, screaming and like, you know, the when the bell tolls one and all this kind of stuff. So, and then for it to turn into this small little child yeah, it's just, it works so well for like giving you this idea of like, you know, ghosts and haunting and just different experiences. And I think it's something very telling again about like the naivety of a child, which they're able to capture in that, that puppet and that character to be the symbol of the past. Charlie, what was the standouts for you in uh, this sort of past segment? Obviously there's kind of like three stages to his life, I guess. So there's a lot here. Yeah. um, So it was a long time since I'd seen it with the the full version, as Disney liked to call it. So I actually completely forgotten about that whole scene with the with the humans singing to each other, um, because I haven't hadn't seen that since I was a kid. And that it just I don't understand why they cut it in the first place. Like each each ghost has a song in their sort of section of the story. Right. So why did they feel the need to cut that out? But yeah. yeah, I, I think it's probably my least favourite of the three sort of ghost sections. I, I love Ghost of Christmas Present. Um, so Ghost of, and also I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm with you, Mary. She's terrifying. I don't know who possessed the idea to be like, let's make it a little demon child. Like, <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> when all the other Muppets are so cute, and you got this like creepy baby just like hovering over his bed, like that's not cool. It's the 
worst description ever. <laughs> I think it is just because it's the first Muppet that's closest to a human face. Yeah, yeah that yeah. could be it. And also there is like this whole sort of ideology that like, the, you know, the creepy China doll or the creepy baby. Oh, I don't know. Like, Valley, it's like a yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uncanny Valley. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mary, you definitely have thoughts on the full version as uh, Charlie was uh, brought up there. Yeah, do you know, actually watching it this time around with the full version with the best song in the film, <laughs> I don't actually understand how they could cut that because it doesn't, I'm not saying the rest of the film doesn't make sense, but it's such a pivotal part in his life that it seems ridiculous. I mean, don't get me wrong, Michael King singing, <laughs> right? But it's still a great song. And actually when they go to the reprise at the end, which we'll get on to, if you haven't seen that previous song, where does this melody come from? I just think it's it's another layer to Scrooge and it's another, you see him obviously as the young man, but also looking at himself and obviously regretting his mistakes of letting this woman go out of his life. And I just do not understand why you would cut that out because one, it's a great song and two, it does actually help further the story along. It's not a song for a song's sake. It does actually give us some character development. So I just, yeah, I mean, I had the the VHS, like the rest of you, I'm glad I'm in a demographic where we all know what those are, um, which had obviously that song on it. I remember buying the Blu-ray as an adult and being absolutely outraged that my favourite had been taken away. So very glad that it's back because it is, it's important. Yeah, the fact that end song is called, you know, when love is found, it's like, how can you not have when love is gone? You know, like it's so crazy, but apparently it was done for pacing. Which I find weird because, again, usually you'd think like the producers the and stuff like that. perfect. Yeah, they thought it kind of like just turned too slow in the middle, which is like, okay, but surely like your main concern should be like, how does this film open? Like, are people going to be on board? They're not going to walk out. And the end of the film, how do they leave feeling? You know, I don't think there's many people who just get to the middle and then be like, I'm out, you know. And admittedly, as a kid, I think I was, you know more of a like oh the love song has come so I was kind of more dismissive of it but I did I always realized this is important and I think in the theatrical version it's very strange that he just is suddenly in you know floods of tears when she just walks away and you're like whoa where did this sudden emotion come from I've also seen analysis which says about how important that song is in the fact that the fact that old Scrooge sings with her. Yeah. The fact that they say it could have easily been that young Scrooge sang with her. But it's really important that one, he just walks away, which is quite callous. You know, he's just like, all right, you know, he does obviously make efforts to sort of like embrace her and stuff again. But the fact that old Scrooge is singing with her shows the kind of like idea of like old version looking at this previous version of himself and what he's lost and then singing about that and the fact that i think she has like a lyric which is something like you know the dream's lost and then he says that and he kind of like his voice like cracks a bit and he sort of like says it slower than her yeah <laughs> mary holding back the tears <laughs> oh honestly i was crying about 16 times before we got to this point this has just been like the proper sobbing started <laughs> so. i mean that is just character development right you don't get a story which shows this man looking at all stages of his life um, and then deciding to change without him opening up and acknowledging parts of the life that he should have changed, right? So obviously he had to sing mm. in that situation. Yeah, I was just going to say it could also be because like the reason the couple breaks up is because he's talking about like mortgages and paying for a wedding. <laughs> 
thing and kids are probably a bit like I don't care where are the Muppets like real life problem yeah. exactly yeah. as adults we can relate but as like a six-year-old I was probably just like yeah but where's Gonzo gone yeah well on on that note that's why the past has one of my favorite and this is what I was saying about earlier which I was actually cracking up because I was like I just love this so much because it one has my favorite Muppet but it's also again next to the heat wave stuff it's one of my favorite gags in the film is um sam the eagle when he comes in as the headmaster i love sam the eagle because his design as a whole the eyes are just fantastic that stern look he just looks brilliant and here he's just like got a great role that he's like casted to as this like head teacher um and the fact that you know he comes in and he's just like you know a man of business you know and that's always been cemented in my head like you will love business you know and then the fact that you've got the antics with Rizzo and Gonzo in the background and he's like as strong as this very building and then they like fall over in the background he's like I'd be meaning to change that shelf but this is why it's such a perfect scene for showing that Muppet dynamic of they are the performers I love the kind of like you know it is the American way like you know taps you know Sam's oh it is the British way and it's just perfect when he then looks to the side it's like what what the hell and it's just because his eyes are just perfect for that moment like what was that you know and I love him even more in Treasure Island because he has a bigger role in that but again this just this is enough Sam for me because it's such a perfect Sam moment can I just say my favorite thing about that scene I agree with you I, I think, think they... I know what you're gonna say but go on all right predict what am I gonna no, say no 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 say it there okay I love the child actor they've got next to Sam he's just looking at him oh. for this entire scene <laughs> to delivering his line but he's just there like it's like this kid has not been told what he's been cast in. It's yeah. just, it's like you are young, you are young Ebenezer Scrooge's school and you're having a conversation with your headmaster. He's like, okay. Yeah. It's like, and he gets there. It's like, by the way, headmaster is Sam the Eagle. Wait, what? And he's just looking at him like, <laughs> yeah. yes, headmaster. Yes, okay. What do you mean, headmaster? <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? I, I love it when they then leave the past and I just always found it weird The Sam says, remember, don't tip the driver. I'm like, why? why don't tip the driver i just love how sam is that callous that he's just like don't tip that guy i was just like is this just telling of you know whatever is victorian times or something it's no that's just, like, just meant to be in in ingraining the the greedy tropes yeah <laughs> that's just it the just, last it just makes me laugh the way he says it remember don't tip the driver <laughs> we mentioned earlier like fozzy the band coming at this moment charlie you mentioned uh that's where the marley's also have their joke etc yeah and i mean the whole of the fozzy party like that scene is just great fun like you get a lot of the um that's where you see rolf that's where you see animals where you see swedish chef like it's kind of like a little roundup of the ones that didn't get bigger roles let's just shove them in Fozzywig's party and well it, it i just think it's a really good muppet scene if you know what i mean by that like it really just like brings them all in and also then you also get a bit more of the sort of relationship between i can't remember uh, her name Be- Belle, the I one think. that he's in love with bell thank you <laughs> um so that kind of like builds on that as well. But I'd, I like the sort of Muppet content from that scene. And then that leads on to what you were saying is your favourite Christmas ghost is uh, the ghost of Christmas present, which as a child, even I was really like, impressed by the technical aspect of this giant man in his like room and like he feels <laughs> so small. And I think we were talking about Michael Caine's performance earlier. And I was I'm always so impressed by how he manages to go into that like emotional state and then into this kind of like, you can tell, he, you know, he's telling himself as a character, like, right, try and be a better person. And he goes into this then like, oh, my God, you know, like, it's literally like the cheeriest man ever. And he's trying to get on board with that. And he's telling jokes and stuff. I love his transition, but you can still tell he's kind of traumatized by what he's just seen again. And he's trying to, like, repair that in a way. I think that's really nice. But 
yeah, what's your thoughts, Charlie, on the, on the whole Christmas present and, and this ghost? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's a complete shift in dynamic. Like we've gone from this sort of like horrifying past and his his sort of childhood years through his heartbreak and everything that kind of went wrong to kind of explain why he is, how he is. But then it gives him a chance to see the world slightly differently, like that there is you know, there is light and there is humor and there is happiness if you look for it and, you know, you'll find it. And I just love the ghost of Christmas present, mostly because in my house, he is just called Hagrid. Everybody, we all just call him Hagrid because <laughs> he just looks like Hagrid. Um, but he's just like this great, big, jolly, like Christmassy character. And his song is great as well. Like, I just think it's, I think it's a really nice pick me up section of the film. Definitely. Sarah, what did you make of this section, I guess, because this is the most cheery, wholesome part of it. And I guess maybe I don't know whether the nostalgia was more affected in this part or whether you were kind of enjoying the antics more here. Yeah, I really enjoyed, I think, the sort of um, character of the ghost of present. It seems very similar again to the book, you know, with a lot of the film, it seems to be direct sort of adaptations. And I've seen it. I think it was in the Jim Carrey one you alluded to earlier, David very similar in terms of the sort of character design of uh, Ghost of Christmas Present. But yeah, I know, like, the animatronics and everything that's involved. And it's just funny seeing, like, you know, Michael Caine cozy on up to this guy and sort of starting to have that sort of... We're getting hints of that sort of warming nature slowly sort of starting to sort of peel back the layers. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed the present and obviously learning more about other character situations, you know, with Kermit and his family. Oh, and little tiny Tim and his little frog. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it's, it's even though it's, you know, a tale as old as time, I think the sort of characterization um, of, yeah, Bob Cratchit and tiny Tim and everyone there, I think he gives such a warming performance from the frog. <laughs> Kermit um, has, a, has a way of doing that. He does. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, he does. but. <laughs> Yeah, he sort of gets the sort of sentimentality of it all um, and sees the good in sort of humans or frogs. Uh, this is this is a weird conversation. Or pigs. Kermit has a way of like, like drawing you in. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah, I, would, yeah. I would say Kermit, I think that probably happens because Kermit is the one Muppet that realistically at no point tries to do any gags. It just feels like mm. another sort of person taking this 100% seriously. I think the only sort of joke uh, with Bob Cratchit is literally the two daughters slamming him up against the door when hugging him. And that's, that's about it. There's none of the sort of usual uh, hyperactive Kermit you, with, the, with the screaming. There's no slapstick, realistically. It is just he is doing this part. He is basically the Michael Caine of Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and he's the moral center ground, which is why, you know, Kermit is perfect for, for that character. And uh, yeah, you know, starts to bring a lot of the feels and emotions. I think even as a kid, I was surprised that Piggy doesn't have a bigger role. But again, where else would you put it? But even, you know, as his wife, you know, she doesn't have all that many lines. I think she she definitely does make the most of the time she gets on screen. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you really start to get a feel of the, the change in dynamics and the story at that point in which he's seeing then, you know, he wants to raise a toast to his employer, even though he treats him horribly and underpays him. The fact he's like a nice enough man that he's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do this. And then, you know, Piggy is like against it. And the fact that obviously all this comes from the original book, but I think what other people have recognized before is that the sincerity of like the Muppets and like how innocent then a puppet appears 
sells all of that, you know, so, so well, I think, you know, in, in terms of that sincerity from the character. Mary, what, what do you think of this whole present uh, section? Um, so I think, yeah, as I said, you get to see the sort of first real warmth from Scrooge when he's starting to sort of dance along to It Feels Like Christmas. But one of the saddest lines in this film for me, when I'm not crying at everything else, is as the ghost takes Scrooge to his nephew's house, he goes, oh, do people play games at Christmas? And I don't know why, but that is the saddest question ever asked. And it gets me every time. And then obviously it's not just a game, it's a game where they're making fun of him. So it gets even worse. And then, I mean, I texted you as I was watching it. I mean, Tiny Tim seems to have like a sort of like, like a turn in his eye and like his, his whole, like his whole body is just really just slightly misshapen and he just sort of hobbles in and he's, but he's so full of like, life and positivity and warmth and again it comes back to this whole notion of like this kind of wholesome sort of family setup and of course you know Bob Cratchit wants to do the right thing and toast his employer and be grateful for the food that's on the table and actually um his wife is quite rightfully having none of it because you know she's looking at all of her kids and you know her little uh, precious son who's obviously really not well and it's just it is there's moments of joy and there's obviously a really good song again in this section but actually yeah I'm it, it's one of the more emotional ones as well because you are introduced to, to Tiny Tim who's this obviously really iconic character from literature but he's given this like very delicate Muppet spin and he just looks so small and so fragile and yeah this is I'm going to start crying in a minute so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> the most heartbreaking <laughs> thing for me I think is uh when he says like the goose and he's like getting too excited. I think that for me, I'm like, oh, you know, he's like trying so hard. He's so excited. So that, you know, and I guess in terms of the song, probably as a kid, this was, I, I think when love is gone, you know, that probably was like, okay, least favorite in terms of it being a love song. But then I could understand, like we've said about the importance it was telling for story. Um, so probably then bless us all. I found maybe like, you know, it's just very kind of like, oh, look how wholesome this is. And, I don't know, maybe it's the fact that it is bless us all that comes across as the most like preachy in a way, like, you know, religious. Like, it's almost... oddly religious. The lyrics are about like thanking him. And I assume him is Sky Daddy, whatever one you subscribe it, to. It does so. seem like it's very close to times to say and like something about God. It's like, you know, it seems like they've just scratched that out of the lyrics. Uh, I don't know if you agree, Laura. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going back to like the whole, like, whole tiny, like Tim being like so small, so fragile, but... I feel like it works really well him being a frog because like frogs can be like they can be so small and like and so like they're very like undetected like you you don't like know they're there and you know they're so easy to get hurt or maimed and like you feel off and you see tiny Tim and you're like oh it's just like that poor little frog and it kind of as much as it's a puppet and it's not a real animal it kind of makes you feel like wants to take care of like him and his whole species it sounds ridiculous saying it but like it's how you feel towards it like this tiny little frog and you just want to do everything to look after it and make sure you don't hurt it or anybody related to it <laughs> it's like it sounds so ridiculous but like, i'm an animal lover so it's like the whole yeah like inside out you know i would die for riley you're like you're like i would yeah. die for tiny div you know so going into the future section then again this is where some of the darkest stuff happens and you know even creeps out Gonzo and Rizzo to the extent of like, we are leaving, <laughs> which I think again is another clever choice on the creator's part that they are saying that like, oh, this is, we can't have gags at this point and we really need to hammer home what's happening. Did this, this segment stand out to you, Sarah, in good or bad way, I guess, you know, because of what you were appreciating about it so far? 
I mean, yeah, I was expecting a little bit more scary. I think maybe just because tonally, like Dickens and Christmas Carol is always sort of very gothic and very kind of creepy. Um, so I wanted more, being the weird horror person that I am. Um, but then remembering it's a kid's film. So, yeah, I don't think that would have scared me as much as the creepy child of uh past yeah i th- i think this bit's interesting and i think you mentioned it earlier actually david sort of the transition into that sort of uh ghosts of the future as well um and yeah again we get to see michael kane uh his performance completely shift again we sort of have that remorse and sort of reflection of everything we've seen alongside his sort of journey of this evening so far um yeah which i thought was quite interesting to sort of see him break down a little bit which i've never really seen in any of those of the roles yeah i think it's um, that like determination he's like a life can be changed again it's like it, you, you believe that and i think that he's very kind of like um in doubt so much of it i think is quite the way he mm. plays it so good is like watching that conversation with the businessmen watching them sell his you know selling stealing whatever his stuff um even at the grave you know he's just like this grave no i you know it could be that one it could be someone else you know and it's just like well, I find some people, I think, said say sometimes as a criticism, whether it's just of the story or this version, but they're like, Scrooge is an old man, you know, why, why is he surprised that he's died? And it's just like, well, I think it's more about, you know, the fact that he, it's a life lived and that's what he says in that moment, you know, a life can be changed. And that entire experience has told him like, oh, wow, this is how I'm remembered. I need to make sure even if I die next week, I'm remembered for something better that, you know, the legacy I leave is better than this. I think that's what he's crying about and that's what he's so emotional about. Yeah, I thought it was interesting as well, like you said, then the group of sort of other businessmen who sort of buy um, was it his house or his property once he's sort of died. It's like interesting that they swapped it back to like uh, puppets at that moment, because obviously these sort of a lot of these sort of higher up people and people connected to him have been human characters along the way. So I don't know if there's a commentary there about, you know, these people who's maybe thought lesser of in society are coming in and then sort of taking on, I don't know, maybe I'm getting too deep for this and sort of the analogy of the Muppets and the divide within society. I guess there is, you know, the the pigs are like the businessmen. So it is, you know, that commentary of like, you know, greedy, you know, like fat cats or thing. Um, And then, yeah, like you said, then the... the It's also important to note we do see those particular businessmen at the beginning as well. Yeah, and Mm. then the characters who are the, the ones who've like taken things you know one of them i remember when i was a kid i was like that looks like animal like the spider and stuff like that but it's almost the idea of like like the you know another one i think is like a bug sort of character they're all kind of like creepy sort of like looking animals one of them i always just think is a potato i don't know if it is a potato but i'm just like is that a potato <laughs> but um yeah it's just like they're very very characterized they're very bold sort of characters they stay with you I'm always like echoes in my mind how funny that Muppet finds her joke about like, you know, like only warmth they ever had because she's just repeating it so much. I'm like, we get it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, but yeah, that Mary, is this uh, the, the other traumatizing stuff for you is the ghost of Christmas future? Or? Yeah. Yeah. We've gone from too much face to not enough in the, the ghost world. Uh, and obviously the creepy long hands, the big sweeping cloak. But I think for me, as an adult, certainly watching it, I definitely didn't notice this as a child. The child was just traumatised by the lack of face. As an adult, you know, he's he's down on his knees and he's begging for tenderness. And he says, you know, are, is this things that, um, that will be or that may be only? And he's absolutely begging just for a second chance. And you're right, it's not about, it's not about death, I think. 
Scrooge is astute enough to know that comes to us all. I think it's about the legacy and it's about this idea of, you know, these old Joe, the grubby spider, getting his hands on his bed sheets and stuff like that. It's, it's about everything he's left behind. And it's just, as an adult watching it, I, especially, you know, around about Christmas, everyone gets a bit nostalgic about the year they've just had and what they could have done better and what they'd like to do next year. I think it's the begging in it that really, really got me this time. I was quite like, oh, I don't remember being as affected by this before, but it's, it's quite emotional. Mm, yeah. And even just the entrance of that ghost, you know, I, I used to be, I wouldn't say I was terrified. It didn't scare me as much as the door knocker, but I was always again a bit like, oh my God, here it comes. Like that ghost is quite scary. The wall of fog is quite, you know, terrifying as just a concept in general. Um, and yeah, so it's the entire vibe of that section. I think like Sarah said, obviously it could go darker if it wanted to, it could go more gothic, but I think it's again, very effective how, again, these, this production company, which could usually be telling very bright sort of, uh, visual tales kind of still see this, the, um, importance of being like, right, you know, this street in the rain and like, you know, Bob Cratchit's street looks very gray and the streets that they're in when they're sort of like taking the clothes and the, the bed sheets and everything, all of that, it's kind of like more closed in and there's more beams that, you know, I think that the kind of, again, cinematography in, in the end of this is very telling and sort of changes from that present section, which is more bright and more colorful. So, you know, I think that really stood out to me um, on rewatch. The section with Tiny Tim potentially, Craig, is this way, like we were talking before about what might have got you on the feels and yeah, the emotions? Yeah, this, this is correct. It's specifically, because I think one thing that they do in the same vein of what you're talking about with regards to color is I think because they set that scene earlier in the day, it meant that there ended up being less light in that room because it isn't lit by candles, etc. So it yeah. just naturally feels darker in there, but I'm always going to be a sucker for whenever, whenever parents talk about their children uh, who have died in the context of, in the context of, Oh, we've, we've given them this area so they, they, they can do something. So the entire, found a spot on the hill so we can watch the ducks mm. that that's always going to kill me. Um, no pun intended. Mm. Um, yeah, that's the scene that basically just got me going. And obviously the, the, the reduced energy of everyone, especially uh, everyone, especially right. Cause mm. before you had the energetic, like girls, mm. even they now just being a bit yeah. slower and just even commenting, oh, his, his walk seemed to be getting much longer now. Yes, yeah. Because uh, obviously before the thing I didn't say, I didn't say with regards to present that I loved um, uh, Bob and Tiny Tim walking on the shoulders and mm, yeah. it's just that rotating street. Oh, yeah. But, but that's still quite a jolly pace. So the fact that they're saying, oh, he's walking even slower now, just mm. even that alone is just enough to sort of just get you really depressed. Um, and you and throughout all of this, you have Michael Caine's just watching this and just the way in which his his face, especially, I think he's doing a lot of work on this. Mm his face is just breaking down in insofar as just like the sort of stern observation to just just pure heartbreak as to what exactly is going on it's the first empathy for other individuals he's probably felt throughout this entire process and i think that's just a, a massive culmination mo moment for himself people are like welling up on the call i think <laughs> but yeah it's such a sad <laughs> sad scene um which you know tiny tim you know as a character just a, a concept is a very sad thing but yeah i think um they do a, a really good job of kind of like making you feel the weight and the loss of this character and i think it's kind of yeah commendable as well i think some some christmas carol adaptations almost see it as like scrooge has to like save this child in a way or there's kind of like everything else has happened in his life is not great and it just shows how much he dislikes christmas or why he might have a disdain to christmas because 
bad things have happened at other Christmases in his life. But I think that this kind of really is it is really testament to like the idea that he wants to help Tiny Tim, and I think it's effective by the end of the film that he says, you know, he became like a second father to him. But I don't. I think the way that the film plays it, Michael Caine plays it, it's not like that's his only goal. I think he feels just the impact of like, oh, my like, the money I pay this man and like the lifestyle they're living and everything has maybe led to this child's death. I think that's what kind of impacts him more in this version rather than a kind of like, I need to save this child kind of thing. I think it's just like the weight of like how this is maybe his fault in some ways. I just really love the like sudden transition when he realizes he's back in his, in his house, in his bed. And he's just like, Oh, it's my bed. It's, this is my house. It's like that. I think his, I think it's a testament to his performance really. I mean, he goes through this huge wave of emotions from like, heartbreak to joy of the present but then devastation that tiny tim is dead and then he's just like oh finally i actually can fix this and i think i just really love that that very sudden sort of transition i think it's really well done yeah i think his energy makes sense isn't it? he literally feels like he's been given a second chance so some people could say like oh it's you know as he changed too suddenly like when he's going out and he's tapping them and you know merry christmas merry christmas but it's like yeah. again he sees this as like oh i need to like immediately change now which is you know Again, fair play. It wasn't, I need to go to bed. I've been up all night. <laughs> it was, I need to get straight out there. Uh, Laura, what's, what's your thoughts on this like kind of finale or any other thoughts you had on sort of like the future leading into this uh, this segment of the film? I mean, going off what like Charlie said, like with the excitement, you can tell just by the, the excitement, like when he's in his bed and he gets up, you can tell like instantly that like he's a changed man because from what we saw, like, you know, like the beginning of the film, you know this miserable man with who has who seems to have like barely any energy like he can't be asked essentially to basically like dive out of his bed it's a little bit like when grandpa joe jumps out of the bed and telling himself actually like there's so much energy like he's a completely changed man um but also as well going on to the whole fact of um he's not just changing for the sake of saving tiny tim he's changing to be a better man but be better to those around him like that's to me i'd say to me that's the most important thing is the fact he's changing for everybody not just like this one thing it's like oh i have to do this it's like he can he genuinely wants to do this yeah because i i really love you know it's always stood out to me is the thankful heart song just as a kind of bit of story and a bit of narrative again it's you know kind of general kind of like happy christmas song but i think it's just what you're seeing you know it's wrapping up everything so effectively what i find always really like fascinating and commendable is the fact that they made like an old fozzy an old sam like puppets just for this like one moment i'm like i don't know if they just like sprayed them with white or something but i was like you didn't have to go that far but like they could have just given them some glasses and a hat but they were like no like they need to be grayed and they need to like look like old muppets and it was like fair play for doing that for that small part but it's just so nice that you're seeing like you know the little things of uh coal and stuff like that for the you know his his employees and um you know gathering all the 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 town you know behind him it just has such a great energy around it um Mary, there's obviously one standout from this final moment, <laughs> which... Uh... I, I honestly don't think I'll be able to talk about it without crying. Oh. I'm such a wimp for this, but, like, obviously he meets up with uh, Bunsen and Beacon again and he wants to amend his charity donation and he whispers to them what he wants to give and then, oh, God, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then Beaker takes off his red scarf and he, he hands it to Scrooge and Scrooge says, a gift. 
a gift for me and it's so obvious that it's the first thing that he's ever got in his life yeah. it's nice and he puts it on and then I don't see the rest of the film because I just cry <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is uh the meme which I put up today as well which is like I'm strong I'm a Excellent. man I can resist this but yeah, that always, you know, I don't think as a you know kid or anything, but as I started to grow older and stuff like that, it would really get me because I was like, it's the n- naivety of Beaker. It's kind of like what you were saying, Laura, earlier about Tiny Tim. It's the same thing. It's because it's coming from such a like symbol of innocence. The Beaker's like, me. Yeah. you know, like he's like, for me, me. <laughs> and it's just like a pink <laughs> tube <laughs> that's like giving him this scarf. Sad me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like and it's such a like tiny little red scarf but Scrooge is like yeah I can still pull this off you know like it was a part of a Muppet but you know it's like you said it's his his performance there for me you know it's like that break in like his voice and everything it's just yeah fantastic I love like the way that they do that and the fact it's not just like you know Cratchit or some like obvious character it's just like this you know charity worker or whatever I think it's just yeah such a nice moment I think what really hit me more most watching this entire final segment is again like now when we're having you know cost of living crisis and all these different problems and challenges and then to see you know it's again testament to what people have said why christmas carol has stayed so relevant for so many years but this end song really emphasizes that as well it's just that like be nice to people you know like try and spread the joy and you know this this you know realization and that you know scene symbolizes a lot of that is you know like give back and give like gifts when you can and you know it's, you know, that when they say, I wish there was something we could give you. And that he just, like, the realization that because, like, I have a scarf on, I can give him a scarf, you know. And then for him to go around all the town and this idea of community and thanking everyone and buying things. Yeah, it's just really, it's, it's a really sweet moment and just really brings a great crescendo to the film, I suppose. Especially the fact that he then goes to Bob Cratchit's house and trolls him at first. I was going to say, I do love the <laughs> fact that even though he's this changed man, he's just like, I- I've got a bit. It'll yeah, be fantastic. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think there has to be a special shout out as well to the cute little bunny that tells him it's Christmas Day because we Big see that bunny. bunny all the way through like he's the one that knocks on the door at the start of the film and then later on we see him all bundled up in a newspaper because he's got nowhere to sleep and then he's kind of like the first act of generosity and kindness is like I'm going to give that bunny five whole shillings, <laughs> even though I'm like basically a millionaire. Well, to be um, fair, he yeah. did reevaluate his kindness. He's like, I'll give you one shilling. No, 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 five shillings. Yeah. But the fact and I'm going to make you carry the turkey. The fact he threw a wreath at him <laughs> early in the film as well, like he's just full on pelted him with a wreath. Yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. He deserves this. Like he might be injured or like stung by that. So yeah. Yeah, obviously, I love the fact that he decided to troll crotchet and just... Um, it encourages his wife to start having a pop at him as well. And he's like, I am raising your wages. It's like, yeah, you're raising... Wait, what? (laughs) One thing I do obviously have to comment on with regards to Thankful Heart is that uh, there's already been allusion to Michael Caine singing. Um, Yeah, um, he he ain't a great singer. Um, This song is nice in premise, but he does not carry this very well. And I think that... I think to me, this is like the cheesiest song of... uh, The cheesiest song that I sort of... It gets to that part. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not fully sold on this. The rest of the Muppets I can be sold on. But um, yeah, this is the one where like production wise sort of like let it down a bit. But I'm like, yeah, it's it's earned a lot of goodwill at this point. And sort of I'm willing to forgive it for uh, right now. Mm. Um, but it sort of has that like archetype in my head of just, oh, you get a celebrity and then just, you know, singing with Muppets. And it's mm. like, oh, the song is. 
And then I'm just like, oh, can this formula ever work? And then uh, Muppets Treasure Island decides to show us how it's actually done with Tim Curry and professional pirates. Like, yeah. ah, yeah, this actually works as a concept. I've always felt a bit more forgiving because I felt he was kind of like what a lot of actors who can't sing when singing do, which is kind of like the slow, like walk, like, <laughs> but also like, yeah, just kind of like talk, sing, you know, and the fact that he's not doing yes. like an operatic kind of like performance. But um yeah, I, I I think just once you get to the very end as well, that's where it's been, you know, wrapped up so well in the sense like all these Muppets and characters are around them and they are singing, as we said, when love is found, you know, again, yeah. which makes so much sense, you know, to what he's gone through. And I mean, he's better singing the when love is found part. It's just mm. the, the thankful heart um, doesn't work quite well because it's a bit faster pace. Mm. And I think what works well when I was young, you know, remembering watching this on Christmas Eve about to go to bed is that then it goes to, you know, a reprise of like, feel, you know, uh, feels like Christmas, is it? Um, so I think that that helps then that you go to the houses and you see the little, you know, that that's a fantastic element. Of this film is like the models and, you know, how real London sort of seems, even though there's t- bits in which you can clearly tell, especially in the, the dance in the Christmas present song, in which you're like, I can see where that street is getting very much smaller and just go into a backdrop. But I think overall they pretty much like pull it off very well. And again, I was thinking today this would just be like a screen that they're in front of, which I don't think would have the same effect. But I think that coziness of ending the film with the red text and the the cheery song coming in, even though Love is Found is still a cheery song, but this is kind of putting you in the more like, oh yeah, it's Christmas Day kind of like feeling with like all the rooftop, you know, like snow on the rooftop. Just Just a nice vibe to end on. Okay, take those cassettes, rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So this week we have Mary talking to us a little bit about information to do with this film. Just anything that we might find interesting that can extend this conversation. So Mary, what do you have for us this time? Quite a lengthy list of trivia and little tidbits, so hopefully this is quite interesting. Um, So the film was intended to be a TV special and then Disney got involved and decided it was going to be released in cinema, but it actually lost out to Aladdin and Home Alone 2, so it didn't really perform as well as they'd hoped at the box office. Um, There's also two songs that didn't make the final cut, so Chairman of the Board, performed by Sam the Eagle as Headmaster, and Room in Your Heart, performed by Bunsen and Beaker, which I think is an outrage, to be quite honest with you, that didn't make the cut. (laughs) Um, Michael Caine did have a prior connection to the Muppets. His 1988 comedy Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was actually directed by Frank Oz. Um, Ron Moody, George Carlin, Peter O'Toole and David Warner were all considered for the role of Scrooge before it went to Michael Caine. And this is the only version of Dickens where Jacob Marley has a brother named Robert, i.e. Bob Marley, in order to give Statler and Waldorf a role. And Bean Bunny, who we love, because he's a poor wee soul that has to carry a turkey the whole way through the town, was actually created as an in-joke by the uh, the puppeteers, and often the victim of Scrooge's bad temper. Brian Henson is noted as saying, we loved to hate Bean Bunny. What the fuck? <laughs> and last, but by no means least, all of the bookkeeping rats in Scrooge's office are left-handed. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. Is it like, is this like puppet law they're like all puppets are left-handed <laughs> all rat puppets <laughs> i have no idea but when i read it i thought that's interesting enough that it made us talking about it. <laughs> it probably makes sense because you try and do a lot of hand movements with puppets on the diagonal yeah. so if you have right-handed puppets doing it you they'll be doing it so they all have to be left-handed mm. as opposed to like it's harder to control if you're not naturally right-handed or left-handed even yeah. Any other reactions to the stuff there, Sarah? I'm guessing maybe your mum would have been on board with any of those other casting choices. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, if anyone else, you know, Peter O'Toole or anyone else was cast as Scrooge, I think I would have seen this as a child. Um, yeah. Uh, it always, what interested me was the songs that weren't involved and who the characters would have been. I think that's a lot of our favourite sort of characters that we've mentioned earlier in this episode. Um, I would have liked to have seen them, you know. You know, if this thing was maybe made with DVD sort of realm, it could have been on extras and stuff. I uh, would love to have seen those songs. You can hear the two songs on their soundtrack. Um, so I'm not sure if it's on like Spotify and stuff. But um, yeah, I would say that Sam's, as much as I love Sam, it's more of a kind of, it's just a, it probably wouldn't have fit very well. He's like singing about being chairman of the board and it's kind of like, almost like they're doing this like, oh, American, like, you know, like dun, 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 sort of thing. So it just feels weird. It would have felt random. But Bunsen and Beakers, I really like because it's, you know, they're trying to say about how Scrooge should open up his heart and like donate and stuff, which again, probably would have been a bit like strangely timed, but it it is a jam. I think it is a good song. <laughs> right. So uh, we'll now go to our final section, which is the movie vault. Not as big a section this time, because obviously, as we've said, uh, this is already in the movie vault when we we're talking about Christmas films in the past. Um, when we've done this uh, other times, sometimes we kind of say, well, you know, should it be there? for other reasons apart from just being a great Christmas film I guess earlier Charlie you were saying about like how it is you know a great film and just like five stars no notes you know would you agree with it you know cementing its role within the movie vault as just a fantastic film in itself yeah I think so I mean like I said at the start I've seen it hundreds of times and it still doesn't fail to be entertaining and emotional and funny and heartwarming and and actually is one of my most listened listened to soundtracks over the festive period so uh, <laughs> it goes in just for the music in my opinion yeah definitely one that uh, can sing along to is with certain tracks uh laura what what do you think in terms of like you know its legacy but also as as a christmas film we mentioned other christmas films earlier but you know as a, as a muppet film as a, as a film overall it's one of two only two um like a christmas carol like adaptions that i actually like enjoy like i've seen quite a few and i always find them really boring but this one like had me like even if it wasn't like even if i wasn't like a massive fan of the muppets i'd still probably would love this adaptation of it and i think it's a really good one to get kids like to introduce children to a christmas carol so i think it's definitely should stay in the vault yeah it's a good point actually is just as a dickens story and there's a there's so many christmas carols there's not another one in there at the moment so yeah again this being like a better better one or adaptation of the tale is a good good aspect to have it in there for as well um mary i guess that you know it's a given in terms of you know of, of, of a course from you uh, is there anything else you'd add no just yeah perfect get it on soundtrack on now if, if this is christmas let's just kick things off let's all have a sing along and sarah what what do you think in terms of uh you know like you said you haven't got the nostalgia but i guess you can still kind of see the legacy that is created and the love that everyone else has had and, and you still had a fun time with it and you want to watch it again so yeah definitely i think you know regardless of not having the, the nostalgia i can appreciate it being a good film like charlie said like you know i can see why it's accessible and you know, people come back to it again and again because, you know, I've watched it now at 28 and I was like, oh yeah, I loved it. You know, um, yeah, I think it's got a whole legacy behind it. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a great way of getting younger audiences to um, get to know a story that's quite, actually quite dark and quite gruesome, really. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's got a rightful place in the vault. Right, well, yeah, in the vault 
Muppets Christmas Carol stays. Uh, kind of unsurprising, but again, I think we've given a lot of good justifications why it is should be remembered for all time. We're in the end game now. Okay, end game time. So before I tell you a little bit about this, there's one for this episode only, there's one special rule change that we're having, which is given that there are four of you, we're going to create teams. So David, how do you want to divide our guests up into teams? Because I see our Zoom call has naturally put them in a formation that I would advocate And for. I was actually saying like north and south because like we discussed before the podcast recording that uh, Mary and Laura are the most north and then I guess Sarah and Charlie are the most south <laughs> in the UK. And the, and the Zoom has decided to do that as well on our side. I mean, I was thinking of left to right, but never mind. Oh, okay, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, I, look, I'm also happy to go for the regional divide. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying not to make borders here. You, you've done that yourself. <laughs> you have done that yourself. Okay, so in that case, uh, if we're happy of the team of Laura and Mary versus Sarah and Charlie, in that case, we can begin. Welcome to this end game, which is called Ghosts of Endgame's Past, Present and Yet to Come. So what I've done is because I really like the dynamic of having a, a ghost for the past, the present, and effectively the future, I decided to take a variety of different movie characters and have a look at what they might be shown in their past, their present, and their yet to come. So this could either just be uh, their characters of a, from a franchise and I've taken them from a particular point in the franchise and they're looking backwards and then forwards, or this could be uh, something that's just alluded to in their future at the end of Save a Film, or just something that is likely going to be in a character's future. Um, but basically, the uh, the idea is, I'm going to list out those elements. If you think you know which character I'm alluding to, I want you to buzz in. And then basically, depending on which clue it is you buzz in, determines how many points your team gets for that round. So if you get it on the first clue, you get three points. If you get it by the second, two, and then the final one, one. All sound good? I'm so sorry, Laura, in advance. I am notoriously terrible at this. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. I, 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 I'll bring Grogu along. He can help. <laughs> Laura's like, you're speaking to a former Endgame uh, special contender here. So <laughs> it's yeah. balanced. I promise, I promise none of them are the fictitious film four-headed shark. <laughs> oh my God, don't. Don't get me started on that. Okay. But as always, we need to understand what it is that we'll be playing for. But because this is our last sort of traditional episode of the year, we will not be playing to determine the film for next episode. So instead, we decided we're going to be a bit more lighthearted and sort of juvenile with exactly what the prize is going to be for this one. So effectively, the winning team will have a choice. You can either have a particular topic of your choice, debated by me and David. And by that, I mean, we have three different topics all lined up about Muppets Christmas Carol that you could have us debate on and then you can judge who makes the argument. Or in very Simpsons style, you can play it all for what's in this box. Now, we at Well Good Movies obviously advocate for the idea of choices being important in people's lives. However, the box, it's literally a mystery grail. I know you can't really see it that well on the Zoom and at home you can't see it at all, but it is very much there. It is 
It is an elephant. It is Pandora's box. It could be anything. Could be magical. Like, I don't even think we know what it is. I mean, we obviously know what's in the box, but... It might not even be in the box. <laughs> yeah. It might just be a concept. Or it could be like the beginning of the year, a woman's head. Um, it, it's not It's not a woman's head. Given the fact that all of our guests today, yeah. that would be inappropriate. Yeah. And it's seven. You've already about. made the North-South divide. Are you really going to bring misogyny into this as well? <laughs> and you already told us that Michael Caine was dead. So... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's Michael Caine's head in the box. This is the secret all along. Yeah, and we were talking about therapy and stuff, so yeah, <laughs> we don't want to be scarring people okay. anymore. Who wins? So are our contestants ready? Um, before we do, uh, I just want to see how it is that you'll buzz in. So, uh, team of Laura and Mary, how do you want to buzz in? Can we go? Can we go gravy? Because we're northern and also it's yeah, a field yeah. from there. Yeah. Okay, so you're yeah. going to go for gravy, gravy. and yeah. and then uh, Sarah and Charlie. How do you want to? Buzz in. Scones. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I know you from Devon. I, just, just I mean, like... we do eat gravy in the South as well. So we could just say it in a Southern accent. That would be very confusing for me. You. What about Mises? Mises, yes. <laughs> Mises, fine. We have gravy versus Mises. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Are we ready for the first set of ghosts? For the past, we're shown a life on a farm. For the present, we're shown a journey down a road. Mises. That is Mises. <laughs> Who is the character? It's Dorothy Gale from Wizard of Oz. That is correct. <laughs> and the yet to come would be a place like home. So that is two points to Mises. Next up. In the past, we see Ezekiel 2517. Gravy. Yep. Is it Jules' um, Pulp Fiction? I will accept that. It is Jules uh, Winfield. Oh, wow. Oh, so the past is so Ezekiel 2517, present, a female dog, or does he look like a bitch? Uh, and yet to come, a mysterious briefcase. Is it bad that wow. the only reason I know the whole Ezekiel thing is because in Captain America the Winter Soldier on Nick Fury's grave is Ezekiel 2517? Uh, ah, fantastic. Yeah. That is a level of knowledge not even I had considered for this. <laughs> it's like the most random little bits of knowledge in my head. Okay. Number three. In the past, we see someone hunting to survive. In the present, we see them killing children. And in the yet to come, we see the fall of snow. Mises? Mises? The Hunger Games? Oh, no. Who's the character? Oh, President Snow. I'll give it to you because of the film. That's not the character. Katniss Everdeen. It is Katniss Everdeen, yeah. So that is Teamwork. one, Good that job, is one point to <laughs> these. To be fair, once, once you've buzzed in, you can talk to each other. I just want to emphasize this. <laughs> okay. well, I mind the second you said the... Like, fall of snow i was just like Taylor swift <laughs> <laughs> i was like wait no no number four in the past we see a vat of acid in the present we see a lot of laughs the mises yeah charlie i think i know what it is but i don't know what the character is gravy can i steal i will give five i'll give uh 10 seconds of deliberation before steal can happen okay I okay I know what it is. 
I think I know the. I think I know it's Suicide Squad. Oh, whoosh! Don't do DC. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, I'll go for it. Suicide Squad. Um, um, what's her name? Uh, Harley Quinn. That is incorrect. <laughs> so a steal can now happen. Who is it? Is it the Joker from uh, Tim Burton's Batman? It is the Joker. Yes. Oh. Or specifically, oh, Joker so over over the entire sort of franchise of Batman because the one that was going to yet to come is a Gaga musical. Oh, very good. Uh, Okay, number five. In the past, we see Bladorfin. In the present, we see the grey. And in the yet to come, we see the white. Mises, Gandalf. It is Gandalf. Hey. I could have got that on Uh, too. I guess, yeah, of course, the grey. Yeah, so Bladorfin was what he was originally going to be called until right. he was then changed impressive, to Gandalf. So number six. In the past, we see a wedding. In the present, we see dead henchmen. And in the yet to come, we see ultimate revenge. Maybe? Oh, no. Yep, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it, Mary. Oh, Mary. What Mary. What, what are you thinking? Is it the bride from Kill Bill? It is the bride from Kill Bill. Okay, so with three uh, questions left, David, tell us the scores so far. Uh, It's very close. It's uh, six to gravy (laughs) and uh, four to Mises. There's still everything to play for. Come on, Charlie. Are we ready for number seven? In the past, we see Sean. In the present, we see Daniel. And in the yet to come, we see Idris. Oh, gravy. That was great. Oh, that's so heartbreaking because the indication to Buzz was there. Mary. James Bond. Yeah. It is James Bond. So you have the original James Bond and Sean Connery. You have the most recent, which was Daniel Craig. And in the yet to be, you have, because of all the speculations of Idris Elba potentially being a James Bond. When, once that cast happens, Aaron Taylor Johnson depends Aaron on Johnson. where you read. Yeah. Once the future comes, everyone on this podcast will come back like, take that point away. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but there are these visions of things that will be or things that may uh, be only. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> it's almost like that defense prepared. <laughs> okay, number eight. In the past, we see the east wind. In the present, we see banks. Mises, Mises, Mises. Mises. <laughs> that was Mises. That was Mises. Mary Poppins. It is Mary Poppins. Oh, wow. And in the yet to come, we see Mary a return. <laughs> Mary Poppins. And the final question. I want to emphasize that this can be a franchise character. In the past, we see an arms dealer. In the present, we see the acronym... G-B-P-P. And the yet to come, we see a time-travelling saviour of the universe. A lot of baffled faces. Mises? Yep. Is it Iron Man? It is Iron Man. Ah, the MCU knowledge there coming in. What is G-B-P-P? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Oh, of course it is. That threw me off. Because if I said that, I would just be yeah. handing out the points. Yeah. I was like, Great Britain. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So with that, we come to the end of the game. So David, 
It's seven seven. <laughs> oh no. Oh. <laughs> one final one. Mises. Yep. Is it Shrek? It is not Shrek. Oh. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> it's a good gamble. I've said that as well. <laughs> In the present. Really? Yep. Is it Yoda? It is not Yoda. In the present, we see a contract with Disney. Gravy? Yep. Kermit the Frog? We have a winner. Uh. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well done, Laura. Yep, it was Kermit the Frog. And in the, uh, the yet-to-be, we would see the third in the installment of the classic literature trilogy, We Hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which really should be Les Mis, right? Oh, like yes. Muppets, Les Mis. Yes. yes. <laughs> Mary and Laura, congratulations. You have won the last official endgame of this year. Uh, how do you guys feel? I think I'm like on the win streak. The <laughs> <laughs> I think I've won the endgame I've been on. I think. Except for. Yeah, the biggest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, at least I'm not going to leave the next lot on this podcast traumatized with a film. True, yeah. But yeah. the question is now, so you now have the opportunity to decide. So, do you want David and I to argue about Muppets Christmas Carol, or do you want to go for the mystery box prize? Mary, what are you thinking? Oh, I feel like you absolutely did all of the legwork in that. So oh, no, I don't want to, like, no, it, it was still a team effort. I would not have got that Kill Bill one at all. Um, I'm upset I didn't get Mary Poppins fast enough, actually. Um, oh, <laughs> should, we, should we just see what's in the box? What's, what's the in the box, yeah. yeah. We're going for the yes. box? Yeah. Correct choice. We didn't have any debates planned. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. David, do you know what's in the box? I think so. <laughs> you have won a special performance of the song Ebenezer Scrooge, sung by me and David. <laughs> We have coordinated alternating lines and everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> but why are you... <laughs> My ears are ready. semi-professional, David. Yeah, no, I will tell you, yeah. Craig was in uh, Only Boys Allowed, so yeah, he'd definitely be killing this. But Charlie was also like, oh, this is one of my favorite songs, so I hope we don't uh, <laughs> kill any. No, no, no. I think there's a lot of charm that can come into this. So uh, we managed to find an instrumental version, so hopefully we can just use this on the podcast, but we'll see. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> are you guys ready? So ready. Yep. Right, here we go. <laughs> when a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. And there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. The worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed is the one that we call Scrooge. Unkind as any and the wrath of many, this is Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, there, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm. They gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old Scrooge, he loves his money cause he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. Even the vegetables don't like him. <laughs> there goes Mr. Skinflint. There goes Mr. Greed. The undisputed master of the underhanded deed. Charges folks a fortune for his dark and drafty houses. As poor folk live in misery, it's even worse for mouses. 
please, sir. I want some cheese. <laughs> he must be so lonely. He must be so sad. He goes to extremes to convince us he's bad. He's really a victim of fear and of pride. Look close and there must be a sweet man inside. Nah. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Outrage, there goes Mr. Sneer. You have no time for friends or fun. His anger makes that clear. Don't ask him for a favor, cause his nastiness increases. Stuff bread for those in need. No cheeses for us, Mises. Oh, Mr. Heartless, there, there goes, goes Mr. Cruel. He never gives, he only takes, he lets his hunger rule. If being means a way of life, you practice and rehearse. And all that work is paying off, cause Scrooge is getting worse. Every day in every way, Craig is getting worse. That was honestly the harmonies that you went into the second verse. What I forgot to say was that the reason you should have chosen the box is it would actually bring harmony to me and David. And to be (laughs) like, obviously that would have been like a subtle way of being like harmony as in, you know, songs, but also just... We sort of bonded in the sort of rehearsal process in a way that we've never been that nice to each other in like rehearsals for anything ever. Yeah, Sarah's like, I've, I've mended time now after Demolition Man. <laughs> but oh, then yeah. the, the new year will start and we'll bust up over something else. So it's nice to end the year on a positive, uh, but we'll see what happens in the new year. I'm glad I didn't do the like ladies singing bit because then I could actually look at the screen and see everyone's reaction <laughs> to Craig's falsetto. I don't know. That was genuinely incredible. That was awesome. Right. Thank you, Eva, for joining us. It's been a very holly jolly Christmas time. There's even been singing uh, much in the theme. You'll notice as well, I didn't criticize Michael Caine's singing all that much because I was like, I can't say this because I know (laughs) what might potentially be coming. (laughs) But uh, yeah, thank you for doing that and uh, joining us today for this very festive Christmas special for a film that a lot of people love and uh, yeah, is a favorite on many people's lists and has cemented itself into the movie vault. So... Everyone, please tell us where can we find you? Are there any projects you've been up to over this year throughout Christmas that you want to shout out? Sarah, I'll go to yourself first. Uh, where can people find you on socials and uh, what, what you've got going on at the moment? The best thing to find me on is on YouTube. Uh, I'm under the name Popcorn Chats. Latest sort of film reviews or older things as well. Same with Instagram and Twitter and Letterboxd and every other social popcorn chat is the best place to find me in terms of what i've got going on i'm not really sure so <laughs> just the best thing is to do is just follow me because you'll get an array of content on those socials uh mary where can uh, people catch yourselves so you can find me on twitter which is at missing peas and i have recently joined the vampire videos guys for a couple of pods and by the time this episode's out um hopefully we'll have our hammer hotter special which was really really good fun and I've applied for Glasgow Film Festival again. So if anyone's up in Glasgow, give me a shout and we'll catch a wee coffee in a film. Amazing. Going back to Hammer Horror, which was kind of like your entry to this podcast with uh, Jekyll was, yeah. and Sister Hyde. Uh, Laura, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at The Film Review. I haven't got a lot going on at the moment, but I've been trying to like watch as many films that I've never seen before. And over the last few weeks, I've done quite well, actually. I've managed to take quite a few off my list. And uh, Charlie, I'll see where can people find you on socials? What uh, 
reviews or anything where can people find you so write in or um what 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 have you been excited for for the, the next year you were saying obviously about being big into blockbusters so uh any favorites from this year you want to shout out um well you can find me on twitter i'm charlie's fow which i'm working on changing because it sounds awful it was funny old world and then I had to change it anyway, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm usually talking about Disney or animated films coming up. Uh, I'm I'm excited. It'll be out by the time this podcast goes live, but I'm excited for everyone to get to see Wish. I was lucky to see it early, uh, and it's phenomenal. So that's the big one for the end of the year for me. And then, yeah, see what see what glossy blockbusters we get next year. We'll finally get to see Dune Part 2, which will be amazing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just find me on Twitter. I'm usually talking nonsense on there. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, go uh, check out everyone's socials and follow. And uh, yeah, please give all your support to any other podcasts or projects going on. Um, and yeah, if you can uh, give us a follow as well on places like Letterboxd, you can see our Movie Vault list on there and the list of films that we've reviewed, as well as catching us on uh, the usual places like Instagram, etc. And uh, yeah, obviously, this is going to be a fun year for us coming up. Uh, we got a very special uh, episode, which will be out on uh, New Year's, like right as uh, January begins, in which we'll be looking at another film that's already in the vault, which is also in the same vein uh, as this. And this is very much like animated characters but actually like puppets but we'll be talking about a film which is actually animated and celebrating an anniversary at that time with definitely an expert in that character joining us so uh yeah look forward to releasing that and as we've mentioned recently our 100th episode is coming out uh which will be uh in sort of early part of next year in the early quarter and uh, we'll definitely be looking to do another fun film in the past Craig, I think it was our 50th we did Pudsy the Dog the movie yep. um, which was then suggested to us by a winner of a previous Endgame special but this time we want suggestions from everyone our um, listeners our guests our Well Good Movies crew people who come on here regularly Sarah's mum <laughs> everyone we would love to get recommendations what do you think would be the perfect film for us to choose it definitely won't be a Michael Caine one if Sarah's mum <laughs> recommends a film <laughs> I was going to say parents but then I was like there's one parent that's been consistent through this conversation uh, please do send them to us and we're going to at some point hopefully have a poll which will decide what that is so we're taking suggestions at the moment uh, should have a page up which we'll be sharing on socials which people can submit their recommended films what they would like us to see and cover and then if there's a big consensus then we might put that to a poll in terms of which film everyone thinks that we should cover but yeah we look forward to next year and we hope that everyone has a very merry christmas everyone here on this recording and everyone at home have a holly jolly time me and craig will be back just before christmas to round out the year in which we might be like getting on now because we've like had this bonding moment of a song in which we're talking about films from the year which we've covered and we'll be discussing what made its way into the movie while talking about the overall themes it just feels like they're gonna bring up old battle wounds, yeah i think this might actually just break us straight away you know <laughs> so we look forward to that as well so thank you again guys merry christmas to everyone for this month and we'll see you very soon bye-bye merry christmas bye Merry Christmas. god bless us everyone to keep up with the latest episodes of well good movies you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets including apple google spotify youtube and more don't forget to follow us subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. 
So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. Oh, here is your coachman, Ebenezer. Come, Scrooge. There is much to see. Remember, don't tip the driver in.